Every week, Robert and I, Robert or I, and occasionally someone else gets up here and kind of preaches to you, proclaims the Word of God for 30 or 40 minutes, and for some of you, or maybe many of you, that feels like the longest part of the morning, but genuinely, when you think about as your pastors, we get one 30, 40-minute slot a week to proclaim the Word of God to all of you at once. It's a relatively short amount of time. And as such, we have to be hyper-focused because we, we preach verse by verse through the whole text. And so we got to be really hyper-focused because if you, if you, 40 minutes is less than there is to say, okay? So we're, there's some restraints in keeping it brief, but we got to hyper, uh, be really intentional around what is the main point of the passage and kind of leave out some of the extra stuff. And normally on the front end, uh, as we just read, says, so, so at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. Paul heals him. And as is most writing, uh, including scripture, the first couple verses of, of most passages that are narrative like this, telling a story, are set up. It's not the central point of what's happening. And verses 8 through 10 are the setup. Okay, somebody gets healed because of the faith that individual had. That is not important necessarily to the main point of the story. But if I read this morning that Paul saw someone and said, that person has faith to be healed, and I did not address it, I would imagine there would be some of you upset that I didn't lean in a bit to wait. So this person had enough faith to be healed. Why am I not? Okay, so I I said all that stuff on the front end to say, I almost have to pause here and do a little mini sermon on this before we can move on, because I don't want to just leave this in the dust. But jot this down, February 19th, of this year, 2013. So 21923. I said 13, didn't I? 23. 21923. If you go to our website uh, to the sermons in the archive, we had a guest preacher that morning who spent a whole sermon talking about uh, the apostles healing people kind of on demand and how to think about that modernly. That's the best way, if you have questions around that, to get those answers because we got to stay focused this morning. But let me just give you a couple things in case you don't go to listen to that. Um, healing is not really the main point here, again, uh, but the apostles, including Paul, seem to have some on-demand access to it that we no longer have. Right? So we read through Acts, even uh, in the Gospels, Jesus was doing it and then kind of passed that gift to the apostles uh, where they could just say, you are healed, and the power of God through that human would heal individuals miraculously, the blind, the lame, the sick, and they would stand up and be healed, and they would go, and often in modernity we go, why can that not happen to me? I have this chronic thing, I have whatever, and I thought my faith was enough, and it can be super damaging. There's sub subcategories of Christian denominations that leans so far into this. I've had family members and friends just emotionally destroyed because they've had someone tell them, you don't have enough faith yet or you would be healed. Just not scriptural. Go and listen to that full sermon. But Paul himself had a chronic illness that he asked God to remove from him and God said no. Okay, Who has more faith than Paul? Not me, and probably not you, on top of just reminding ourselves that the apostles were sent to establish the Christian church, and it has now been established. And the point of the gospel is the gospel, not the healing. And we do have promise of healing at the end of all things. We read the last part of Revelation. The only true and universal and every time situation which God has promised to heal you is after you have stood before him in the judgment seat and entered into glory. At that point, he will wipe away every tear. But until then, please do not base your opinion of God nor yourself on whether or not your thing has been healed. Okay, that, I just had to address that so we can move on, right? So let's, let's transition a bit into the rest of the text. Let me pray now um, as we consider 
what really is the main point here. Father, we thank you for your word. And as we approach it, I pray that you uh, just get me out of the way, that you keep me from error, that as I communicate to, to our church family that it is by the Holy Spirit, and as we consider your word that we are uh, humble towards it, and that if we need to be molded to it, we will. If we need to be encouraged by it, we will. If we need to be corrected, we will. And ultimately, as we read and proclaim your word, and we sing songs, and we observe baptism, all these things that we do, we just pray that it is glorifying and honoring, and that you are well pleased this morning uh, by your people's sacrifice of worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, let's crack on with our passage. Paul heals this guy. He's said to have looked at him intently. That happens again uh, just previously, a couple weeks ago. We see Paul is said to look intently at this individual. Some commentators suggest that even that phrase uh, was kind of unique to the apostles, and then Jesus was doing it before, and sometimes in the Old Testament, God is said to look intently at the people of Israel or at individuals. It's, it's a little bit more probably than just a hard stare. It could be that, that the apostles and Jesus and others had some unique ability, and when they say they looked intently, they were able to see something that the rest of us aren't seeing in that moment, which might help explain the healing or what have you. But Paul looks intently. Either way, God chose this situation to heal this guy, and it sets off a, a bit of an unfortunate response from the locals. Verses 11 through 13 record that the crowd assumed that Paul and Barnabas are gods. That was their reaction. Not just any gods. They assumed that they must be Zeus and Hermes, two characters from Greek mythology. You may have, even if you've only seen Disney's Hercules, you're, you're somewhat aware of Zeus and Hermes. But these, this was based on a, that movie is based on an actual religion. We call it mythology now, but it was a religion to the Greek people during that time. And they believed that this large group of gods, Zeus and Hades and Poseidon and Hera and, and all these individuals made up a bunch of small gods that created and sustained and, and uh, according to their whims, interacted with humans. So the folks respond as such. The priest of Zeus brings out all kinds of sacrifices. The people are seeking to worship them. And as a Christian, I read this and I see that God did a miraculous thing through a human and I attribute that to God. But that's my bias. That's my understanding of the situation. We've got to remember that these individuals had yet to be preached to about Christ and Yahweh. So they were reading the situation through their understanding of the world. And where I see God working through a human, they saw Zeus and Hermes coming down to earth and doing something amazing in their midst. And so, to some degree, their response is understandable. And you'll see in that, uh, if you have a listening guide or even the slide behind me, understand your hearers, right? When we are communicating the gospel ourselves, are we understanding what the people are hearing, or at least the filter through which they are hearing our preaching? Paul and Barnabas' response, they rush to correct them. They say, no, 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 it's not us, it's God. Let us tell you about this God of the universe who, who provides for his creation. They deflect the praise away from themselves and towards the creator, They've tailored the message. You might notice in here it's not inherently a gospel cross, Jesus crucified and resurrected message. It is, hey, look, God is the provider. God is the one who created and sustains. And I would imagine, based on Paul and Barnabas' other work, that eventually they preached the gospel to this group of people. But what the author seems interested in letting us know is that they were quick to understand what their hearers were hearing or seeing and tailor a message to it. And we would be wise to take that example when we are sharing our faith with the people around us. Are we swinging the gospel like a blunt object, or are we pausing for a moment? 
to understand what our neighbor is thinking like, what our, what our family member, what our coworker, are we, are we pausing long enough to know what they think so that we can understand what they're going to hear from us? Because again, these people, I look at this and go, God healed someone through Paul. They looked at it and said, that's Zeus, <laughs> right? Two totally different understandings based on where they're from. Are we understanding our hearers and where they are coming from? Instead of all that, Paul says, let us tell you about the one true God who actually created the earth and who actually sustains it. And this is our tie back into the beginning with the healing. There they have an object lesson. The people says, see, God, if it be his will, can provide even for the healing of that which, which none of you could do before. All that this pantheon, this large, you go to Olympus and all these gods who are interacting with humans at their whim, none of them have had the power to heal this individual, but the true one and only God of the universe who creates, sustains, and provides according to his will had the power to do so, right? They're, they're contextualizing their message to their hearers. They weren't just saying, shut up about Zeus and Hermes, let me tell you something else. They said, no, 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 you think this, but let me, let me offer you the correct understanding according to Scripture, according to Yahweh, according to the Creator. We would do well to understand our hearers, because Paul and Barnabas understood the beliefs of the people they were with, and they were therefore more effective because they were tailoring their communication. They were careful with it. We should be making the same efforts. You having a hard time communicating the gospel to your neighbor? Well, do you know anything about your neighbor? Do you know anything beyond what they drive or um, how, what their lawn care routine is compared to yours? That, that's kind of my, I'm like racing towards middle adulthood dad stuff. We all, the other day I left and there were several dads all had their mowers parked together. It was like a meme. <clears throat> but what do I know about those guys beyond what kind of lawnmower they have? Right? If I want to be effective in communicating the faith that, that I place my whole life around, what do I need to know something more about how they look at the world than what, kind of, what they do on the surface. And then I can better understand how to answer their questions. Are you having a hard time uh, 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 doing that with your coworkers, with your family members, your friends, you name it? We need to pause and, and follow Paul and Barnabas' example here. Take a moment to understand how those people are viewing the world. Paul and Barnabas, two of the most famous preachers, evangelists, missionaries in history, they took time to understand their hearers. Have you ever considered that? Paul is a, an apostle. Paul wrote scripture, right? The words of Paul, it's not just that he was a good preacher. When he opened his mouth, scripture came out. And it was recorded, and God sustained it, and even Paul did his homework. Who are we to think we can just throw words out without even trying to understand the people to whom we're speaking? Be well-served understanding our hearers. And here's perhaps the most common example in modern terms, right? Just to contextualize it a bit. Uh, I believe in science and reason, not God and religion. Like, okay. So, so you come in with a blunt object of sharing the gospel, they're not going to hear it, right? Because if you've got someone saying, well, I believe in, in science and reason, and you hit them with something that to them sounds like mythology, 
We need to understand that. I don't know how many times I've heard people say, I'm so frustrated because my whoever, my, my son, my daughter, my coworker, whoever, just says they believe in science. And I keep telling them that it's just God. That's, we should be preaching boldly, but take a moment to contextualize that message. Because I can say, hey, I believe in science and reason too, but I believe in a creator from whom the natural order flows and he holds it together. Like I'm a lay person when it comes to this stuff, so I, I'm not purporting to be an expert, but we know a lot of specific things. Science has taken us by leaps and bounds into the future with technology and healthcare and automobiles and whatever. We enjoy so many things because of science, but what science still lacks, and I try and keep up with this just out of curiosity, is the answer to everything. We have an answer to a lot of things, but, but what even the best minds cannot agree on, there's theories, but they're debated and they're argued and none of them have been proven, is where did it start and what's holding it together? We have those answers. Look, two plus two equals four every time, all the time, no matter what. That is scientific fact, okay? And, and air conditioning is a wonderful thing to have in the Delta in the summer, that is a wonderful scientific engineering feat, and I'm thankful for it. But ultimately, it is God who has given us the intellect to see into these things for the benefit of his creation, and we can still point with science and reason back to a creator and a sustainer. And look, that's not the point of the sermon. I'm just trying to help you see how you can be contextualizing things. Paul and Barnabas probably certainly would have been thinking in these terms of, hey, look, I get it, but it doesn't mean that this has to mean that this can't work. We can be patient with each other and put two together. But even if we get really good at this skill, okay, understanding the, the, the beliefs of the world around us and, and developing good responses to all those things, chapter 14 as a whole reminds us that, that some will respond positively and some will respond negatively. So just last week, Robert preached on the first several verses of chapter 14. Same message, same preachers, same everything. They got ran out of town. Now, they've gone to a new town, same preachers, same message, same everything, and they are being worshipped. Still the wrong answer. Same message, same apostle, different responses. We need to be mindful of while we're doing the work, not relying on our ability to outsmart someone or on our ability especially to save someone. We somehow think that if, if we don't have good success or, or a good success rate with sharing our faith, that somehow we aren't doing it right. And Paul and Barnabas were doing it right and were ran out of town almost as often as they were met with uh, a welcome. And even here, they're met with a welcome and they're worshiped instead of being turned towards faith in Christ. We've got to find some rest and some peace in knowing that we can preach the right things at the right time, but God chooses when to move. Find some peace in knowing that Paul had some failures too, and he shrugged them off and kept going because he understood the source of authority and of salvation. You can jot this down to, um, he's just fascinating to listen to, William Lane Craig, William Lane, like a road, Craig, like Daniel Craig. He's a, if you don't know the name, and you might not, he's kind of obscure, but he's uh, uh, it's weird to say obscure, and then I'm about to say he's world famous, but uh, he's, he's quite known as an apologist, okay? And, and apologists basically are really good at arguing for our faith. Uh, you can be an apologist of anything, but a Christian apologist has done extensive homework and extensive research and has the answers to the critical questions. And William Lane Craig, you can look him up. He has a website and all of his lectures and everything else is on there. Listen to like two minutes of one of his lectures, and he is the smartest person I've ever heard. And he has a brilliant answer to everything. 
everything, to the evolution, to, to the Big Bang, to uh, other religions. He, he, he will make you feel so confident about your faith because he, God has gifted him uniquely to have the answers. But William Lane Craig, in one of his books, estimates that less than 10% of people, it's really closer to six or four, somewhere in there, but less than 10% of people respond in faith to him having all the answers. Which tells me it's not about having all the answers. Look at the end of this passage, verse 18. Even after they tell the crowd not to worship them, they say, no, 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 we're not Zeus, we're not Hermes. Look, we're, we're deflecting the praise to God. And at the end, it says they still could barely keep them from worshiping him. People are going to respond in weird ways. <laughs> it just is what it is. We, we hope and we pray that people respond to a, to a loving and caring and contextualized gospel presentation to them, but sometimes they'll reject it, sometimes they'll receive it, and sometimes they'll look to you instead, which is also an issue. Sometimes we can say all the right things, do all the right things, and we draw people to ourselves rather than God. Now, Paul wasn't trying to do that, but it happened. And we should take his example and what to do in which we, we turn that attention forward. But we need to be careful of, in case someone attaches their faith to us, we need to be stepping out and pointing them to the cross. But we need to be mindful of setting our faith in other people too, because it will sneak up on us. Think for a moment about the, the best Bible teacher you've ever heard. Maybe there's someone you listen to regularly, uh, an old preacher you had. Uh, regardless, because they are a human, I can guarantee you they are not God. It's a silly thing to say, but it bears a reminder for all of us every once in a while. Because your favorite teacher is a human, I guarantee you he is not God. She is not God. It sounds silly to say, but we've got to remind her, Paul was just a teacher, and they thought he was Hermes. He's a really good teacher, so still just a human. Many of you uh, already know, we, Mandy and I named our son after a human preacher. We obviously did, we just liked the name, but we also did that because I admire that, that pastor. I want to be like him when I grow up. I want to preach like him. I want to be smart like him. Um, but, but being like him will not get me any closer to God than what the cross of Christ has already done. I could wake up tomorrow, you could run into me, and, and I, will just, I could just be exactly like Paul, bold, uh, uh, using his words, preaching on the, on the street corner and, and seeing thousands of converts. And me being exactly like Paul gets me no closer to God than the cross of Christ has already done. Be mindful of, of falling into the trap where sometimes it, it, it comes in like this. Um, if I can just be like that teacher, if I can just be like that, that leader of my small group, if I could think like them, read my Bible like them, understand the Bible like them, that somehow that would make me more lovable to God. Be reminded that being like them will get you no closer to God than the cross of Christ has already done. Worshiping Paul and Barnabas was not the same thing as worshiping the God they serve. And sometimes that can be a fine line. Paul and Barnabas were careful to deflect that attention away, but not every human teacher will deflect that attention away. And worshiping the individual who points you to God is not the same as worshiping God. These folks didn't quite get that at the end of the story. Maybe we'll trust in, uh, that, that Paul kept teaching and teaching, and they eventually got that worship was towards the God of the universe and not his messengers. But if I woke up tomorrow with a Scottish accent and a killer wit, right, 
being just like Alistair Begg that I named my son after, it wouldn't make me any closer to the God I serve. It'd be cool, but it wouldn't, wouldn't make me any closer to the God I serve. If you wake up tomorrow with the same faith life, spiritual maturity, Bible knowledge, whatever it is, of, of those who you admire most, you will be no more saved than you are through the blood of Christ. I'm just going to keep saying that over and over and over. Because so often, and I'm guilty of this too, how often do you share quotes from your favorite teacher rather than scripture? <laughs> and, and look, some of it is our modern culture and media and all these things have turned everything into a snippet, and it's just easier to share those than the other. But, but like Paul and Barnabas, be mindful of looking to the God and rather than the messenger. So here's the truth of the matter. We are all sinners. We certainly want to grow in our spiritual maturity throughout our lives. We certainly want to consume and memorize more and more of God's word throughout our lives. We want to be more like Jesus. We want to be holier. We want to be sanctified according to Scripture. But we we want to do those things because God wants them for us, not because he needs them to love us. You know what he needs to love us? Nothing, because we got nothing to give. He, he, He loves us because he created us. That's it. And in spite of our disobedience, if you've never heard this story, God created us and we screwed it up, to put it as simply as possible. That Adam and Eve and eating the fruit, that was more than just a little slip up. That was disobedience to the perfect and holy and loving creator of the universe who also breathed life into us. And we disobeyed and we ran and for generations all through scripture, the story is we're running and God is chasing We don't turn to him. He comes to us. That's the beauty of it. And it's not because of we've got our life together or we're we're excellent Bible scholars. I want to get better at reading this every day of my life. But if I don't, God still loves me and God has saved me. He wants me to know more of himself because he wants me to experience more of his love. That's it. It's not about get smarter so you get a better seat in heaven. It's just, hey, Dylan, I want you to know more about me because of how much I love you, and I don't think you totally understand it. So read more of my words. Because even in our sin, even in our disobedience, and we're separated from Christ, God loved us anyways and sends Jesus to bridge the gap. That's why Eli got in that baptism today. It's because he, even as a, as a young man, understands that his sin separates us from the creator and the sustainer of the universe. And the creator and the sustainer of the universe loves him so much that he sent Jesus to take Eli's sin and to take yours and to nail it to the cross. He's buried, and when he rises again, he's resurrected in a miraculous work that only God can do. The sins are left behind, and in his place he says, here, take my righteousness. It is counted as yours. So no longer do we stand before the creator as guilty, but we are washed clean. If you've experienced that, make sure you're attributing that to God and not the favorite preacher that you've heard that from. And if you have not experienced that, we would love to have that conversation with you. The band and Tim, if you'd go ahead and come back up, we'd love to have that conversation with you. Because it is the only way forward that I can see. And we believe as Christians that it is not just that I can see it, it's that we just know that the only way that, that, that for us to, to find purpose, that the only purpose there is, is to live in obedience to the God who created us. And right now we're separated by sin, but for those who have experienced the forgiveness of Christ, we are free indeed. 
And right now we're going to observe the Lord's Supper. It is a way for us as believers to remind ourselves of that. And I'm not going to step in too much to Tim's piece, but let me pray for us as we transition and uh, we'll continue in worship. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for you, that you created us. And even in our disobedience, you didn't just leave us because how human would that be? Well, they screwed up. I'm going to move on. But instead, you, you and your perfect love for us kept after us. And there's a whole book of your word that shows how much you would not let us go. So, Father, for the, those in the room who have received that love, may we be encouraged and built up in it that when we walk out of this building today, we are so full of, a, 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 of you that regardless of what illness or pain or hurt or whatever, there is hope in the cross. May we be reminded of that. And for those who have not received it, same thing. I would pray that the Holy Spirit makes you as an unbeliever so uncomfortable this week that you, you have to call me just to, get it, just to get words out of your head so we can have that conversation. We can have it after service, but, but just, Father, we pray that you would work in people's lives and that as a result of that, we got to figure out what to do with the new life boards. Father, as we continue in worship again, we pray that it is honoring and glorifying to you, and we thank you that we get to do it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.